You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. seat for a minute. 
So I don't know if this has ever happened for you, but some of the songs that Matthias and Joyce and our band covers, like there are times that when I listen to the original, it's like totally ruined it for me now. And I'm like, this is not as good. Like it just doesn't have their voice. I've told them before, like you have ruined so many songs for me because now I only want to hear you sing it. So it's like a, it's like a weird backhanded compliment, I think. But so one of the, one of the jobs I get to do here at Kensington is to work with our church planning department um, all the way back to the beginning of Kensington's birth, part of what we knew God had formed us to do was not just establish a church, but to plant churches. And so one of the things that I get to do as a part of leading the church planning department is from time to time visit some of our other plant partners, some of our plants. And recently I was sitting at one of our partners that uh, we're talking about planting a church together. I was sitting in one of their services and I had a moment like that where I was like, oh man, Matthias would sing this song way better. And then I was like, I don't even like this song. This song's so overdone. Church shouldn't even sing. And then my daughter, who was with me, she leans in next to me and she goes, Matthias would sing it better. I was like, I know, right? That's what I'm thinking. And so I'm totally like, I'm missing the whole moment. I'm, I'm focused on all the wrong thing. And then I just had this moment where I feel like God dropped this thought in my head. And it was so clear. Here's what I heard in my head. It's not about the song, it's about the one you sing it to. But sometimes the one we sing it to can be so confusing. There are so many mixed ideas of what God is like. Just the confusion at times to try and understand and appropriately transfer the images of God from this book into our own minds can be difficult, but then we add stuff, we take stuff away, and we ended up with this confusion at times. Is our God approachable or is he unapproachable? Is he big or is he small? Is he magnificent or is he personable? And I would contend yes, all the above, and so much more. There's a description of God found in the book of Hebrews towards the end, in chapter 12, a description in part that even Moses was able to once witness that gives us this complex picture of what God is like, and it says this, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no other word be spoken to them because it could not bear what was commanded. Even if animals touched the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Can you imagine? You're like trying to tend sheep in that day and you're like, hey, close the gate. Don't let the sheep out. Your kid let the sheep out. They touch the mountain. You're like, on it. That sheep touched the mountain again. He got to go. Like this is the mountain of fury, a mountain of strength, a mountain of power, a mountain untouchable. It says here, the sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now verse 22, watch this. But you have come to the mountain of Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church, the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to Jesus, the mediator of the new promise. Our God is so magnificent that there is no descriptor that perfectly puts him into one category or one box. He is above all, over all, through all, sustainer of all, creator of all, beginning of all, end of all, personable, yet mighty, unapproachable, and yet knowable and approachable at the same time. It's not about what we sing. It's about who we sing to. We're gonna, we're gonna sing a song in just a minute. I got a couple things I wanna update you on before we get to the song. But the song is, for some of you, may not be a new one. It's called Raise a Hallelujah. And I just want, as we go into that song and we raise our voices with a form of celebrating who God is, that's the one that we sing to. It's not about the song. It is about the one that we sing to. So a couple of exciting things happening at our campus right now. Uh, just want to update you on very quickly. If you have not made your way down to the end of the hall today or the lobby, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we have two projects that are underway that we've been talking about for near a year. One is an indoor playscape that's being put up that actually is representative. It looks like it's designed to look like downtown Lake Orion. And outside, we're taking the north parking lot and we're converting a lot of that lot over into green space. So we actually have an area for us to be outside, to be together. The whole idea and the passion behind it is we want to create places that are spaces for us to continue to enjoy being with one another, but also to serve our community. 
So we want that outdoor space to be for our students, but we also want it to be for the school system. We want to create relationships where the band can come in and they can practice from Lake Orion High School on our property outdoors. We want to create space where we can get together as a community outdoors during the summer. We can enjoy the weather and one another. We want space inside where we can open this building up during the week. You're like, where do I take my kids? We're going to provide a place for you. You want birthday parties, you want celebration, you want places to congregate. That's why we're doing this and creating this right now. And you'll see that the construction inside has begun with the wall tapestry. And if you look in the woods outside or the trees out there in the north lot, you're gonna see the backhoe is already on property and ready to start breaking ground very soon. So just so you know, there's gonna be more information to come in the weeks ahead about what all of this is about, how we're gonna use it. Uh, and, and even how you can be continually involved in the project and in the process of it all. So one of the things I want to do before we have the guy that's going to speak this morning come up here is we're going to take a pause and, and just collect up our offering. And I want to do it in light of two things. When we have a moment like this, it's continuing to do what Matthias and the band was just leading us in. We call this worship because it's a moment to acknowledge the worth of who God is. When we give, it's the same thing. And so we're going to take a moment to really, in a sense, extend the worship into a different form. Knowing that these are the moments that produce everything I just talked about, from planting other churches, from creating spaces around here to continue to serve our community, everything is because of these kind of moments that you help us create. So here's all the ways to do it. We're so thankful for those of you that are involved and we'd love to invite those of you that aren't to be a part of this mission with us. All right, two more really quick things. 21st of August, this is very important. There will be no indoor services here at Orient. Say it with me, no indoor services. Okay, two of you will remember that, because none of you. So why do we have no indoor services? We're gonna do something we haven't done in a long time. We are going out to Wildwood Amphitheater for an outdoor service that morning, one service. It's gonna be a baptism service, and here's one of the things I'm super excited about. Not just the baptism service, not just the fact that we all get to come together, so it's not dividing up between the services. It's gonna be one community on one day, but we're doing this with Lake Point Church in Oxford. And some of you may remember that Lake Point and us began a relationship as a result of the tragedy in Oxford this last year. And one of the things that came out of that is we both uniquely served our community um, is it the lead pastor there, Jesse and I sat down and we thought, this can't be the end of what God wants for us. We are all the body of Jesus. We're in the same community, loving the same people. H how do we do this better together? And so this idea of joining together for this outdoor service is one of those. So I'm excited because we're gonna bring together really one church of two locations under the body of Jesus on that day as we lock arms with Lake Point and they lock arms with us. So for so many reasons, this is gonna be a do not miss Sunday that you're gonna wanna be there. You're welcome to come here, but you're gonna be the only one here. So 21st, no service here, it's all outdoors, all the details are online. All right, come here for one quick second. So last thing, this morning, one of the things that we're gonna get the chance to do is hear from one of my absolute favorite all-time friends and speakers, John Pomeroy. If you've uh, not had the privilege to meet John yet, John is one of our church planners. Uh, we're also partnering with John to launch a church this fall in Sterling Heights. And uh, John is one of my hands down, no lie, favorite people to listen to. And I don't know anybody else that's ever been on the stage with donuts on his shirt. So, um, dude, those are totally donuts. They look like donuts. But here's what I just want you to know about John. John's gonna do an incredible job this morning. I think it's such a gift that you can be here. Uh, but he is gonna end this service shorter than you're used to, so I'm gonna borrow that extra time and I'm gonna apply it to myself next week. So I'm just gonna carry it forward. Is that good? Yeah. All right, that. good. So yeah. don't get used to how short he goes. All right, so I'm just excited. I wanna put a face to a name, let you know John's gonna be back up here in just a minute and he's gonna take us into the morning. Before we do, we're gonna raise our hallelujah. So would you just do me a favor? Would you just, this morning, I know we say sometimes you sit, sometimes you stand. Would you stand though with us this morning? And as we sing, if you're singing with us, and if you're singing to the God of creation this morning, then remember, it's never about the song. It's always about the one we sing to.
church family, you can have a seat. Good morning, good morning, church. Welcome, and uh, just want to say a special welcome to anyone. Maybe it's your first time here. Uh, I, I just want to say a special welcome to Kensington Church. I'm not the guy that normally preaches, um, but I do have a way better tan. Um, that's true. Um, but man, I'm so excited to be back here with the Kensington church family. I'm grateful for this church for so many reasons, uh, largely because my church in Mount Clemens wouldn't exist without this church. Nearly three years ago now, we launched New Anthem Church in Mount Clemens, Michigan. My wife, Cece, and I, my wife's here. My Caucasian queen is in the house this morning as well. Grateful for her. And um, we launched a uh, New Anthem Church, and uh, this church was instrumental getting that church off the ground. We're so excited to be launching another uh, location of our church in the Sterling Heights, Shelby Township area. And again, Kensington was right there, ready to jump in and support us. So we're so grateful for this house. We're grateful for your leadership. Uh, your pastor is uh, one of my dearest friends, uh, one of my greatest encouragers, has just been such a, a dear friend over the last several years, actually served on our pastoral board of overseers for our church as well. And so, so grateful for your leadership here at Kensington. And uh, I, I truly mean it when I say that, uh, that I, we really do love this church. I want you to know how much we love this church. My wife and I, when Craig asked uh, me to preach this morning, I jumped at the opportunity. My wife and I, we changed our vacation plans to be here this morning. That's how much we love preaching here. And so, uh, but vacation starts right after lunch and um, your pastor's gonna take us out to lunch, which I'm grateful for. So you still gotta do that. Um, I know that you gotta, your, your arm thing, but you still gotta, still gotta take us out to lunch. He, he lost an arm wrestling match. I told him not to do it to me, to lost an arm wrestling match to me. That's what happened. Well, well I'll tell him, it, I'll, I'll put the story in the sermon. How's that? Okay, so man, I, I'm excited to bring the word today. I have a word on my heart that I believe God, God wants to speak ultimately to you. And I believe through the power of the word of God that there's a specific message that God wants you to receive today. And today we're talking about this subject called grace. Now, what is grace? The Bible would define grace as ultimately a gift, love given, love displayed or shown to you, ultimately that we just didn't deserve. A, a love, a gift given to you that you just did not deserve. And as I was preparing for the topic this week, I, I began to think of different seasons in my life where I had grace displayed to me. And I don't mean in any necessarily a spiritual sense, but, but when really grace was displayed in any sense, and I was remembering back to a story of when I was 19 years old, and I was just newly out on my own. I had moved to Traverse City, and I didn't really know anyone, and I was trying to get on my feet. And I remember uh, very early, only after living there for a few months, I got a ticket. Now, I don't know what I, I don't remember what I got a ticket for. It could have been for speeding. could have been because I drove a beater. I don't know what I got a ticket for. I don't really remember that, but I remember specifically needing to pay it. I remember I talked to one of my friends that was there in Traverse City, and they're like, hey, you need to go pay this ticket. I'm like, okay, I don't even, where do you go to do that? He's like, you gotta go to the courthouse, you gotta go, and you talk to a teller, and then you pay for your ticket. And I was like, okay, I'll get around to doing that. And they're like, well, you need to hurry, because you only have 10 days to pay for this ticket. And I was like, that sounds, that sounds intense. I should probably go to a teller and, and pay for this ticket. And so I waited until day 11, and then I went to go pay for the ticket. And so I go in and I go up to a teller and I give her the ticket. I'm like, yeah, I just want to pay for it. And, and she goes over everything. And then she's like, wait a second, this is day 11. You can't pay for this ticket here. You have to go see the magistrate. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know what a magistrate is. Like, what's a magistrate? It sounds like a character from Monty Python. I don't know what a magistrate is. And she's like, listen, all you got to do is go through those double doors on the other side of the room, and you go in there, and then you wait, and then the magistrate will come out, and she will look at your case. I have a case now. And so she's like, go through those double doors and go ahead and wait for it. And so I go in, and there's no one there. And it's not, it's not just a room. It's a courtroom. So now I'm in a courtroom. My heart starts beating really fast. I start getting a little bit nervous. And then these, this, this door opens up and this, this woman comes in and I am, I'm assuming it's the magistrate and she sits down and now my forehead's starting to sweat and I'm getting very emotional. And here's why I'm getting so uh, worked up because uh, 
I'd only been adulting for a few months. I didn't really know about how the world worked. I didn't know how magistrates work. I didn't know how any of this worked. Also, the only thing I knew about courtrooms was what I saw in Law and Order. So I did not think that this was gonna end well. And then this specific magistrate, she looked like someone that I can only describe as like a young Judge Judy. So I was like, I don't think, I don't think this is gonna go so hot. And so she sits down and she's looking over my case and she's, or she's looking at the, the ticket and going over all the information. She's like, well, you didn't pay it on time and you needed to pay it on time. And I start trying to talk to her and she cuts me off. And then she's like, okay, so this is what it means and you have to pay these fines. And so uh, I just wanna know, are you going to plead innocent or guilty? Innocent or guilty? How did we get here? This was a ticket. Like, how are we, now I have to say innocent or guilty? And so I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what she wants me to say, but I want to have a little bit of conversation about this first, right? So I start talking to her. I'm like, well, you see, like, I just moved here. I, I start trying, and she cuts me off. She's like, innocent or guilty? I'm like, well, I just want to explain. Like, it's been a rough couple of months. I'm trying to get on my feet. I'm trying, she cuts me off. Innocent or guilty? And finally, I say, guilty, I guess. And she says, guilty, I guess. What do you mean? And, she, and I, I very quickly start trying to, to tell, share my sob story of what the last couple months had looked like. And she eventually just cut me off and she says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. And my heart's just racing. She's like, I'm just gonna waive all these fees. You don't owe anything, you're free to go, you're good. And I got up and I didn't know what to do. Cause I was used to like hearing a gavel sound, right? And the music from Launder, dun, 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 dun. Like I was used to hearing that. So I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of slowly start walking out of this courtroom and I get to my car and I'm just like overwhelmed with this euphoric feeling of victory. Why? Because I didn't get what I ultimately deserved, but I also won my first case. <laughs> and the truth for us today is that was a depiction of grace and no matter who you are and whether you may realize it or not, we all experience different forms of grace all throughout our life. Maybe for you growing up, it was your parents not uh, showing anger towards you or not retaliating or reacting when they found out you wrecked the car or dinged the car. Maybe it was the, the officer that when you were stopped for speeding, just let you off with a warning. That hasn't happened to me yet, but I've heard it happens to some people. Maybe it was the professor that gave you the extension on your paper. Maybe it was the coworker or loved one that when you lost your temper with, they didn't retaliate in kind, but rather showed love and forgiveness. Friends, grace is one of the most powerful forces in the universe because it refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of reciprocity or fairness. In other words, it doesn't expect a return on investment. The Apostle Paul, when, as he was writing to the church of Ephesus in the first century, in Ephesians 2, he says this, for it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so, Paul would say, no, this is a, a free gift. You see, religion would communicate, the gospel of religion would communicate, grace is something that you have to earn, that you have to work towards, that even this love that we can experience from the God of heaven, it's something we have to work towards and climb up the ladder to reach and to attain. But the true gospel of grace that we celebrate here at Kensington Church is that Jesus gave us this free gift, that there is no strings attached that it is free, undeserved, and it's an unearned gift extended to us through the person of Jesus. And although this is a free gift, grace does ultimately require something from us. It requires us to receive it. You see, grace can be extended to us, but at some point we have to make the decision to receive it. And I believe that there are many reasons in our life that we would experience that make it difficult for us to experience this free gift that Jesus is wanting to extend to us. And we're gonna look at a few of those today. And I believe that there are attributes of Jesus that when we look at the person of Jesus to know how we should live, to know how the God of heaven feels about us, it can set our souls free in such a way where we will be free to walk in liberty and live the life that God has destined us to live, experiencing the grace of Jesus here on earth. And so if you would 
jump into the word with me. We're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke. We're just gonna start at uh, chapter 19, verse one. And this is the story of Jesus. Jesus is on a journey, he's passing through a city and he meets a man named Zacchaeus. And it says this in Luke 19. And in verse three, it says, he wanted to see, this is the tax collector, he was wealthy, this is Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me, church family? Father God, this morning, as we dive into your word, we take a second to remember that your presence is here with us in this room. As we read your word, God, we open up our hearts and we give you permission to read us to reach into our hearts, our souls, our way of thinking, to see if there's any offensive way in us, to get into our hearts, to rearrange things in such a way that when you're done, all that would be left is something beautiful that points to heaven. And so God, for every single person under the sound of my voice, I ask for grace and peace. God, we lean into and submit to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Well, I want to kind of build a picture for the scene that we're in, give a little bit of background, but also paint a picture for who our main character, Zacchaeus, is in our story. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, and he's headed to Jerusalem, headed to the Passover festival. Now, this is going to be the last Passover festival that Jesus is going to be able to attend before his death, burial, and resurrection. So on the way to this festival, Jesus stops off, passes through the city of Jericho. Jericho is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. And in this city is where he has this dialogue with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. Now, this is a sour deal. This is bad news because tax collectors were regarded as evil, were uh, regarded as vile. They were crooks. They wouldn't just receive and take in money for the nation of Rome. They would take in much more than that, and they would keep it for themselves. These were uh, regarded as evil people, evil individuals. And so all of these taxes that Israel, the people of Israel are paying is to Rome. Everyone knew what was happening in this town. Everyone knew what was happening, but ultimately everyone in this region was powerless to do anything about it. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Many biblical scholars believe he was actually in charge of all the other tax collectors in this region. But what made this even worse is that these tax collectors were former Jews. So what Rome would do when they would take over a specific nation is they would hire the locals in that nation to do the work of collecting the taxes. And so it's very likely that that, uh, Zacchaeus and every single person under him in this gangster-like hierarchy ultimately would not just be regarded as individuals that were thieves and individuals that were robbers, but also traitors, ultimately benefiting off the backs of their own people. And Zacchaeus is at the top of the list. Zacchaeus is at the top. He's the chief of all of these people that were regarded as sinners. And this individual, Zacchaeus, this is what Jesus starts in on this dialogue with. I want to jump into verse five, and I believe this paints a really good picture. We're gonna look at an attribute of Jesus 
inside of this, the beginning of this narrative. Verse five says this, when Jesus reached the spot, that is the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, there is a bunch of things wrong with this part of the text. Namely, first of all, Jesus just kind of invited himself over. Like, uninvited, like just, I'm coming over. Like, has has that ever happened to anybody? No? One person? That's because you're not in youth ministry, right? (laughs) 13 years of, hey, Pastor John, we're coming over. Uh, No, you're not. Well, we already are here. We're in your house right now. 13 years. But this is how, this is what Jesus, how Jesus rolled. This is, he could just do that because he was Jesus, This was his influence. This was who he was. This is the way that Jesus walked. This is the way that Jesus did life and did ministry. But there's something else peculiar about this part of the text. There's no prior information given that would tell us, the reader, that Jesus had any prior relationship with Zacchaeus. Well, why is that significant? Well, we know that Jesus probably, or that, that Zacchaeus was probably curious about Jesus. After all, Jesus was a, in a part of his ministry where he was on fire. He was healing people. He was healing the sick, healing the blind. He was doing these miracles, preaching incredible life-changing sermons. And there was a crowd wherever Jesus was. This was a point in his ministry where this was happening. And so word probably spread. Zacchaeus probably knew more about him than just his name and wanted, had this curiosity about him. And yet there's no dialogue that before this meetup, before this interaction, that Jesus had talked to or met or even knew Zacchaeus' name. Why is this significant? Because when Jesus spots him in the tree, seeing him face to face for the first time, the first thing he says isn't, hey, what's your name? No, the first thing that he says is, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming over. I'm coming to your house. Jesus already knew his name. And this morning, church family, Jesus already knows you. Jesus already knows you. Why should this help us receive grace, Pastor John? I I don't get it. Why should this help us receive grace? Because everything that you struggle to believe disqualifies you from the abundant and rich life with Jesus. Everything that you struggle to receive in this rich life with Jesus. Friends, Jesus already knows you. And guess what? He knows more than just your name. He knows your past, he knows your present, and he even knows your future. And in light of all of this, Jesus calls all of us out of hiding to live the life that he has called us to live. There is something powerful when someone of influence knows who we are, amen? There's something powerful about the idea of someone else who's, who's powerful, who walks in authority when he, when he knows our name. About a decade ago, I was playing music at a, at a resort up north in Traverse City, and I was playing my last couple songs, and uh, I was getting ready to take a break, and this very, very tall gentleman like walks through the lobby. I don't know if you've ever met that kind of individual that just like, they just walk and they have a certain presence about them. Like they just kind of grab everyone's attention in the room. Time seems to slow down. The beat kind of drops like when they come through. That was this individual. And he was a little bit older gentleman and he had this like, these flowing curly locks and it was like a bushy mullet was what this dude was rocking. And while I'm playing a song, he comes up And he's kind of like bobbing to the music and he comes up and he grabs one of my business cards and then he steps back and he's just kind of nodding and listening to the music. Now this gentleman had like a train of a bunch of people around, like behind him, like following him around wherever he went. It was like the weirdest thing ever. Like, is this guy royalty? I don't know who this guy is. And then he kind of floats away and heads into this conference space. And one of my coworkers comes up, came, came up to me and they were like, do you know who that was? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, have you heard of the band Queen? And I was like, well, I'm a human being, so yes, I have heard of the band Queen. And they said, well, that's Queen's guitar player, Brian May. So I start 
floating over to this conference space that Brian May just floated over to. And I find him and he's surrounded by this big group of people. And I'm just like, my heart's starting to race again. I'm just like, I'm like, whoo. And, and I kind of start taking these like baby steps up to him. And I'm about like four or five feet away. And he, he sees me coming and he goes, hey, Johnny P, I love your music. <laughs> and in my head, I'm thinking, this guy's probably been following me on Facebook for years, maybe under a different alias. Like this guy, how does he know who I am? So my jaw hits the floor and I look deep into his eyes and I say, how did you know my name? And he's like, it was on your business card. <laughs> I thought we were gonna like become roommates or something, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something significant when someone knows you, like knows your name, when someone knows who you are. And what we celebrate this morning is a savior that knows so much more than our name, that knows everything we've done, everything we're going to do, everything that's even been done to us, and not only extends his love, but extends his grace to us, chooses us, calls us out of our place of hiding, and says, I have called you to more. Who sees us, despite all of our brokenness and all of our imperfections, he sees us in spite of all those things, and he still calls, calls us, he still chooses us because this is who he is, friends. Jesus knows you. Number two, attribute of Jesus. Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's good news, church. Come on, smile. That's the best news ever. Jesus is a friend of sinners. This is who Jesus spent his time with. Let's read verse seven. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And so there were faithful followers of Jesus that were following him, that were in this crowd, those who loved and feared the Lord, many of which that were upstanding citizens. There were all of these people, and they knew everything about Jesus except the mission of why he came to begin with. There were no doubt those that were muttering, those people that were saying, hold on, Jesus, hold on, hold on, him? What are you doing? What are you doing? There are those that really need help. There are those that are so much, so much more morally good than this individual, than that guy. Why are you choosing him? There are those that, that, that are sick. There are those that really could use you, that are such better people. Why are you choosing those individuals? Have you ever been completely embarrassed about a thought that popped in your head? Like maybe it's a thought that you popped in your head or maybe it's something that you said that you thought about and then you said out loud because there was no one around and you're like, I'm really glad no one is around because if anyone heard that thing, I might get fired or I might not be invited into the church again. Just me? All right. Four honest people in the back. <laughs> Appreciate you. I, there's several times that I've thought or said things that I'm completely ashamed of, especially as a pastor. As uncomfortable as it is, I'm gonna share one with you now. Here's, here's something that I've said more than once, even as a pastor, it's absolutely terrible. But God, they don't deserve your grace. God, they don't deserve your grace. Them? After everything they've done? after how they've just kind of lit up their life, after there's all of these ashes of all of the terrible things that they've done, them, you're going to bless them. You're gonna extend your grace to them. After all of that, it's not something I'm proud of, but it is the truth. And every time one of those thoughts pops in my head, very quickly soon after, the spirit of God will speak to me and say, did you deserve my grace? Did you deserve my grace? Where was I when Jesus found me? I was in the lowest point ever. I was in the darkest season of my life. I was angry, 
I was depressed. I was suicidal because of all the abuse I had experienced through all of my childhood, AKA, I was lost. But I didn't find Jesus, right? Like, I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. I wasn't chasing after Jesus, trying to climb up the ladder to get to Jesus. Jesus came down all the way down the ladder into my dirt and into my mess to save my soul. And and let me tell you this. Jesus wasn't peering through time and seeing Pastor John. Pastor, speaker, musician. No, he wasn't seeing Pastor John. The Bible says from the foundations of the universe, Jesus was peering through time and seeing broken, insecure, messed up John, but with a plan to call him to more. And Jesus from the foundations of the universe was looking through time, peering through time, seeing you not at your best, at your worst, and saying, that's what I want. And I have a plan for more for them as well because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus didn't come for the all put together. Jesus came for the people that know that they're not without the hope of Jesus. Can I get a good amen, everybody? This is why Jesus actually ends the narrative that we're reading today saying this, the son of man came to seek and to save not the Bible thumpers, Not the super spiritual. Not the people that have had John 3.16 memorized their whole life. To save the lost. And the people that know they're lost and in need, a desperate need of a savior. So Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus knows you. Thirdly, the grace of Jesus, the love that he would extend to you, his grace is illogical. His grace is illogical. And there's an illogical aspect of the grace of God that will always be impossible for us to wrap our minds around. How do we know that? Because we're talking about an emotion extended to us from an infinite being. Like the the point that we struggle to understand, how can God just continue to love? How can God continue to extend his grace? And I mess up and I fail and I'm the worst version of myself and there Jesus is with his grace. I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And the part of you that can't get, that doesn't seem to be able to get it, the part of you that can't wrap your minds around, this is what should be like a warm blanket for your soul and give you a confidence that we're talking about an emotion of a higher being that's outside our way of knowing, outside our way of experience experiencing and feeling things on earth that, is, that exists in a realm beyond the scene and what we experience here on earth. We're talking about the God of heaven. And this love of the God of heaven was extended to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus' grace is illogical. Let's finish our story today. Verse eight says this, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So clearly, there is this huge transformation taking place in Zacchaeus' heart, and here's what's interesting. This transformation took place by Jesus just saying, hey, let's hang out. Like, that's all it took. For Zacchaeus to go, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. He's coming to my house. I'm going all in. I'm surrendering my life. I'm going all in. But what happens next is huge because what happens next looks like a dialogue between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but this was actually a public declaration Jesus was making about this new gospel that Jesus came to promote. In verse nine, it says this. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Notice, Jesus didn't say salvation has come to your house because this wasn't just a personal conversation. This was both a personal conversation and a public declaration. What is Jesus saying for everyone, for all time, throughout all of history? Jesus is saying, my grace can save anyone and everyone. This was the message Jesus was wanting to get across. And this is the greatest news for us in 2022. 
So where, do, where does that leave things? What, what should be our response to this truth? Jesus is pointing us to a reality that you cannot outsin the cross of Christ. You can't outsin the cross of Christ. Why? Because the grace that Jesus invites us into. There is a grace that you've been created to walk in, that you've been created to experience, and it's absolutely illogical. It goes after you. It chases after you. The grace of Jesus, it pursues you. It goes after the things that you love about yourself and the things that you hate about yourself, the things you can't stand about yourself. Jesus' grace goes after all of those things, and the grace of Jesus will always be difficult to receive. But the truth for us today is that your deepest, best, and most abundant, rich life with Jesus will always be found not in you trying to manifest good things to happen in your life as if we could, but by learning to lean into to be carried by, to be filled by, to rely on the grace of a savior. Amen. Amen. See, some of us maybe struggle with feeling like we're Zacchaeus, a broken past, a lot of issues, a lot of tension, a lot of errors, that we maybe think disqualifies us from the good life that God has planned for us. But others of us are like another character that Jesus talks about in a couple chapters later in Luke. There was a rich young ruler who knew the 10 commandments, who followed the 10 commandments. And he went to Jesus and he, he was boasting. He was like, I know the 10 commandments. I followed the 10 commandments. Now for me, how would I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're wealthy, right? He says, yeah. He's like, hey, you gotta, you gotta give it all you have to the poor. Take up your cross. You need to follow me. And in this narrative of the rich young ruler, the ruler went away sad because he had so much and he didn't want to lose it. So it's not even our do-goodery or our merit or our ability to follow the Ten Commandments. It truly is, at the end of the day, a life of surrender. And would we become a people that would surrender our heart and surrender our life and say, Jesus, the life that you have planned for me is gonna outweigh anything that that I could conjure on my own. I'm all in. I surrender to your grace and mercy on my life. I don't understand it because it's illogical, but I'm gonna trust that you are a friend of sinners and that you know me inside and out, that you see every part of my heart, life, and soul, and I'm going all in just like Zacchaeus did. And I wanna give you that opportunity this morning, church family. Can we just bow our heads for the next few moments as we close? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, that's me, Pastor John. I've never formed a relationship with Jesus. I've never actually experienced his grace. Maybe you've been close in proximity to the things of God, but you've never personally surrendered your life and made the decision to go from the direction that you're going in the direction of Jesus. If that's you today, I wanna give you that opportunity. The Bible makes it so simple, so I'm gonna make it simple. The Bible says if we just confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 Corinthians, it says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have gone, new things have come. And today, Jesus wants to make you new today. So with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you would say, I wanna start a brand new personal relationship with Jesus and accept his rich grace into my life. All I'm gonna ask you to do on the count of three is just lift your hand in the air. Now, why do we do this? Well, the Bible says, when you recognize me here on earth, I will recognize you before my Father in heaven. I believe it'll make it all the more real for you. So do you wanna say yes to Jesus this morning? One, God loves you so much. Two, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Three, if that's you all over this room, just lift your hand in the air. I wanna say yes to Jesus. Awesome, awesome. God sees it. God sees this decision you're making. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Awesome, awesome. Amazing. You can put your hands down. 
Well, I'm gonna ask us all, every single one of us are gonna pray this prayer out loud to support all those that are praying this prayer of salvation for the first time. You can repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. Help me to live for you the best that I can. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, church family. Can we celebrate with all those that made first-time decisions? It's amazing. Greatest decision you could ever make. Well, in these next few moments, we're going to transition into a time of communion. Communion is just a time where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the life that he lived, a life that we could not live, and a death that ultimately we all deserved to die so that we could be forever connected to the God of the universe. So there's stations all of, over this room and that you can partake with. Maybe you want to come up as an individual, as your family. And, I want to encourage you to, to do so remembering what Jesus has done, to remember his sacrifice. Maybe you want to take a moment and, and pray, take a moment and meditate before you take the elements. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he had one final, final meal with those that were closest to him. He first took the bread and he broke it and he distributed it amongst his disciples and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you, and so often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup, and he raised it, he distributed it amongst his disciples, and he said, this cup represents my blood, it's poured out, it's a sign of a new covenant. After this, everything will be different, nothing will be the same. So often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. And so in a moment, as the band continues to play, we're going to partake together as you find your stations, and then you can return to your seats. So let's pray and bless the elements this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all of these men and women. I thank you for every single individual that said yes to you this morning, making a decision to go from the direction they've been going into the direction of life and grace with you. Father, as we partake of these elements together, we ask that you would bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
so glad you were here this morning. We want to ask that you would join us next week. Hey, for those of you that uh, formed new relationships with Jesus, here's what I would say. Don't keep it to yourself. There are so many great next steps you can take to get, to, to get plugged in in your faith here at Kensington Church, and uh, we'd love to help you do that. I always say this. It's not just a prayer alone that saves you. What a prayer does is it starts a relationship with Jesus. And so how do you do that? This is why the church exists. It's not a room full of people that have everything in their life put together, but a room full of broken, imperfect people that are trying to learn more about a perfect Savior. And so we want to ask to plug in on that. You can also, there's going to be prayer down front, prayer stations. Uh, if you want prayer for any reason, I want to encourage you to stay and, uh, and benefit from that as well. Uh, and then here's what I can promise you for next week. I won't be here. Your boy's going to be on vacation. Um, as soon as I, I, I'm going to do another little arm wrestling match with Pastor Craig with his other arm. We're going to see how that goes. <laughs> He's, where'd he go? Anyways. But here's, here's also what I can promise you. You're going to hear a life-changing message. I want to encourage you to join us next week. And I'm going to sign off the way that we do at New Anthem. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, turn his countenance towards you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Love you guys. See you next week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.